Russia's invasion of Ukraine is not just about territory and resources, though they, of course, play a part. It's also a struggle to control historical memory. Russia seeks to simplify history writing, teaching and mythology down to a few selective narratives that support its current political structure and imperial revanchism. Ukrainian history is complex, messy, and offers an alternative take on Russian and Soviet mythology and undermines its propaganda. Ukraine's struggle is one for identity, culture, language, and even survival, but it's also a struggle to retain the right to question and reshape historical narratives and tell alternative stories that don't fit neatly into an imperial Russian worldview. Welcome to Silicon Curtain Podcast. Please like and subscribe if you like the content we produce, and our material is now being made available on popular podcasting platforms as well, such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Maria Kravchenka is Program Coordinator for the Fulbright Program in Ukraine and a junior researcher in the World History Institute, NANU. Established in 1946, the Fulbright Program is the oldest and most prestigious international program for the exchange of scholars and students funded by the United States government. Today, it supports academic exchanges with 150 countries worldwide. Maria, uh, I'm delighted to welcome you to the channel. Hello, Jonathan. Thank you for introduction and um, for inviting me. So I'm really honored with it. Yeah, today I will speak more than Fulbright coordinator because uh, I was in Institute of World History previously before uh, this year. Uh, now I'm just a Fulbright coordinator, but anyway, I'm still uh, connected uh, with history issues and uh, 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 as a Fulbright team member, we are working uh, this year a lot on uh, the issues you mentioned. Uh, we are organizing many panel discuss discussions, lectures, seminars, and so on, uh, aimed to uh, give some answers to complicated questions on Ukrainian history and to involve international audience in uh, such discussions. Um, just maybe as disclaimer, next week we will have a series of panel discussions dedicated to the question of genocide in past and present. And um, one of the panel will be dedicated to a uh, great famine, um, Holodomor. Uh, yes, this uh, 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 activity is important uh, today uh, in the context of Russia aggression and in the context of uh, Russia propaganda. Uh, Russia propaganda is also not so simple as it, it could seem to be uh, because uh, uh, they have not only official channels but also covered uh, bloggers and uh, agents and uh, even just uh, ordinary people in uh, social media can uh, uh, share their thoughts in, uh, in that way that can help Russian to, uh, to fight Ukraine. Uh, 
And of course, so, their, I mean, their entire diplomatic service is also uh, a megaphone of propaganda, isn't it? Because if yeah. you look at the embassy Twitter feeds, the websites, the social media posts, they have a vast number of accounts worldwide, but they don't have any independence of voice. They all parrot the same propaganda lines, don't they? Yeah. And uh, uh, here... Uh... I, I would like to mention something from my own life, from my own experience. Uh, I'm originally from east of Ukraine. I was born in Rubizhna, Luhansk Oblast. It's occupied, occupied now. I moved to Kyiv uh, when I be became a student, uh, uh, more uh, uh, just uh, many years ago before Russia-Ukraine war. But anyway, my relatives stayed there, and um, so I'm connected with that region, with that city. And uh, uh, Russian prop propaganda works very well uh, with some people, even Ukrainians. And uh, what I can say from my ex-friends, I would not say friends because uh, this year, showed us who are friends and who are not. So they say like, um, we don't watch in TV. So uh, we don't know anything what Russia propaganda say. And uh, it is you Ukrainians who are influenced by your propaganda. But at, the, uh, at that time, even if they really don't watch TV, they, uh, use some telegram channels, they use uh, social media, they use YouTube channels and uh, Russia propaganda is everywhere, everywhere uh, when, uh, where they can uh, to be. And um, in this situation, Ukrainians uh, should be even more, st uh, even stronger than them and uh, try to present uh, their thoughts everywhere they can uh, do it. So that's why I'm here, even if I'm not a great expert in some questions that we will uh, discuss, but I guess that my part can be useful for Western audience to say what Ukrainians think on some questions of history of nowadays and uh, so on. And of course, your expertise is actually in US history, isn't it? And it's a very relevant time to be speaking this week in particular, because we've had the US midterms, and there was the real uh, threat or risk of uh, a GOP landslide potentially affecting the supply of armaments, materials to Ukraine. That, of course, hasn't hasn't happened. But I'd love to talk to you about, you know, the uh, US political um environment and how that might affect future support for Ukraine. But also in the last day or so, we've had the momentous news of the Russian pullout from Kherson. And in some respects, I think that good news, that victory um, may well um, give Biden a lift or it may well help to support the argument that money spent on supporting Ukraine is not wasted because they're using it sensibly using it efficiently to deliver victories? Yeah, complicated uh, question or even questions. Uh, 
on uh, my uh, expertise in the US. Uh, I am, uh, was writing a PhD in FDR and Truman times and um, what I can say in uh, about these midterms, you know, uh, they just uh, demonstrated that uh, like uh, Truman was uh, saying in his independence day speech during Korean War that uh, freedom is still expensive and we should pay for it. So it's midterms uh, showed uh, that uh, even if uh, uh, Republican Party uh, won it, but uh, it in not that way that, uh, for example, Trump and Magus want it. So uh, mostly Americans understand that uh, if they want to be uh, democratic fully and uh, free and so on, they just uh, should go and vote for somebody other than Trump's uh, politicians will say that. And uh, uh, about this Magas movement, I just uh, uh, read uh, some uh, articles about uh, their uh, attitude to this, um, you know, students' loans in uh, the United States and uh, their critics of uh, Biden's project to to, fi uh, to 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 give some grants for such students. And uh, I just was thinking, if they are not ready to pay for their kids' education. Uh, then it's a very bad idea to give him powers. Uh, then they will not be ready to, to pay for Ukrainian victory at all. <laughs> but fortunately, American uh, uh, system doesn't work in this way. And uh, uh, anyway, Biden uh, and his administration will stay in power. And um, uh, we all know that uh, midterms uh, just uh, traditionally uh, is uh, uh, won by uh, opposition party. So the protest kind of yeah, vote, uh, yeah, as it were. like this. But uh, uh, from what I was reading, that uh, even Democrats uh, are satisfied with the results they have now. So uh, and. Uh, uh, the only thing that uh, Republican Party is uh, diverse and uh, let's say uh, they are not and far not uh, uh, lovers of Trump all and uh, so uh, from Cold uh, War years uh, there was um, uh, like um, agreement uh, between both party, Republicans and Democrats in the US that the foreign policy will uh, go in some way, uh, in the way to protect democracy in the world. And I don't think really that uh, any of uh, Trumpists will be able to stop uh, uh, support of Ukraine. Mm. And uh, we all know that Lynn Lees, uh, for Ukraine started to work uh, from from October and uh, it only uh, it's only growing every month so 
so I'm optimistic about that and um, any any lovers of uh, uh, some teach of some uh, people populists and so on they will not be able to to stop uh, US friendship with Ukraine and uh, the whole Western world I say now lend lease is an interesting topic isn't it because that has strong echoes of the Second World War, when, of course, the U.S. Uh, created a massive Lend-Lease program uh, for the USSR to help uh, repel um, fascist uh, Germany. So there's that, that extraordinary uh, echo there. And I think they've intentionally used the same terminology to evoke this idea of a struggle for freedom over tyranny, haven't they? Uh, yeah, it's really very, uh, very interesting uh, because uh, we know that uh, the United States participated uh, in many wars uh, in some way uh, around the world uh, from the years of the World War II, but uh, for Ukraine, this, uh, this was the first time they uh, just... Uh, uh, enacted such uh, uh, le legislation as land lease. And uh, really, uh, what about land lease to the USSR? Not to the USSR, but to anti-Hitler coalition. And uh, they started land lease for the Great Britain, first of all. And it was, uh, uh, it was uh, great uh, attempts and activities of uh, FDR and his administration to start it for uh, the Great Britain firstly, because uh, it was like uh, uh, the first years of uh, the World War II when uh, the American citizens were still very, very uh, isolationists. Uh, I would say they didn't want to go uh, to, to uh, to, uh, they didn't want the US will would involve in the Great War in Europe. They just um, preferred to stay uh, far from it. But uh, FDR and his highest uh, like uh, supporters, they just uh, started to understand that um, they need to support uh, the Great Britain firstly. Uh, in in huge way, and then uh, after um, I would say uh, around half of a year of preparations, uh, that this was enacted, and after a few months of uh, about uh, there was um, uh, intervention of Hitler to the USSR, and then uh, FDR decided. Uh, to give land lease to the USSR also. But uh, we, we should remember that USSR and uh, uh, Soviet historians um, never underlined uh, this part in, uh, in uh, the, uh, the whole uh, World War II history and they never like emphasized this part, this help of uh, the US. Well, they gave us some uh, something, but uh, doesn't matter. We uh, won the uh, the war alone. So 
if you ever saw some textbook or just a book by Soviet historian on World War II or Great Patriotic War, as they called it, and uh, Russian historians call it in this way still. So it looks like uh, nobody in the world uh, uh, wasn't <laughs> fighting with Hitler, only the USSR and Soviet. Uh, and Soviet. that's three. That's three great myths, aren't there? Uh, in in the uh, the Russia's history of the Second World War. The first one, of course, is around the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. Mm-hmm. It's conveniently forgotten that actually the Second World War began with basically an attack on Europe by the USSR and fascist Germany combined they agreed to carve up Poland between them uh, effectively beginning the war in that in that respect um the second one of course as you mentioned is the huge amount of materials the uh, even in some cases the machinery and factory equipment that was supplied that uh, was absolutely essential to help the USSR manufacture the armaments that it needed and get to the front there were thousands if not tens of thousands of jeeps and other vehicles supplied that, as you say, is is just uh, forgotten, as it were. And then the third great myth, which I think this war in Ukraine is starting to reverse, is that the Soviet Union was a great liberator of countries in the Second World War. Whereas we know that many countries like Germany, of course, was occupied by Allied forces, uh, and there was a period of occupation. Of course, it was a absolutely sort of you know chaotic period in the aftermath of the Second World War. But Russia's role was not as a great liberator, was it? In fact, the territories that it uh, that it took from the fascist Germans, it very quickly um, assassinated or imprisoned the intellectual and political elites of those countries and subverted their political assist, uh, subverted their political systems. So those those are the three great myths, aren't they? And you still see Russian propaganda, um, you know. Uh, using those myths because it seems that Russia wants to control history and memory, but also it's backward-looking rather than forward-looking. And I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Again, many thoughts, many issues. But um, what uh, what is the main is maybe about yes, Russia propaganda tries to control history, but uh, in the same time it. Um, uh, plays with itself a bad game because uh, like uh, trying to continue that myths and to control uh, the thoughts of scholars, citizens and so on, they can produce any any modern, any contemporary, contemporary idea. And uh, if you just will uh, try to find some idea for what Russia uh soldiers are fighting now you will you will i, I don't know you, you you wouldn't find it because uh every time they are back into the soviet times to the uh, myths of the great patriotic war and so on they are fighting with fascists now with nazis with who else but uh they are going uh, on some circles and uh i just saw uh, some posts of, uh, let's say, uh, not uh, Russian supporters, but Russian people, uh, not uh, supporters of uh, Russian government, but Russian people, they are talking 
for for what purpose we are fighting for uh, for learning for 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 whom so um with this control of history and this control of ideas they just um, are staying uh let's say in the last century so uh and uh, uh, just um, uh, some uh, maybe months ago russia propaganda propaganda started another uh, another step in their uh, in their activities so uh, they started to uh, to say in some kind of we are saying but uh, uh, like reflected we uh, we are saying here uh, no uh, in some um, uh, cases uh, ukraine say uh, says that uh, ukrainians are fighting for uh, for freedom for democracy uh, ukraine fighting is uh, for some right thing and russia for some wrong for uh, and uh, russians started to say the same things but uh, they are fighting for the right things and ukraine for, for wrong so they just uh, don't have what to say to their people they just can't uh, to uh, to comment what they are doing here and what is the purpose of this war and uh, uh, the only thing is uh, uh, they have is uh, to say again about uh, some past glory some past victories uh, and uh, it can uh, it it works on uh, some elder population but not for young people but young people at the same time they are stay silent and that's also is problem and this problem is connected with uh, tradition also of uh, political tradition and uh, tradition to be silent uh, and not to talk about some uh, problems that really matters matter and they exaggerate as well, don't they? So nationalism is an interesting idea that propaganda uses. Supposedly, this military operation, uh, war, as everyone else is calling it, um, is to denazify Ukraine. And that's one of being the big myths. And of course, no one believes that. If you're, if you're in Ukraine, no one believes that. Many people in the West don't believe that. And yet they keep coming back to this ludicrous idea. And it does seem to work with some people uh, in 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 russia um but what they also do is they pick facts and they pick ideas from history and and then they twist them and exaggerate them so of course there were nationalist movements in ukraine um there was the azov battalion from 2014 was relatively extreme but compare that to france and italy where you actually have right-wing movements that are much, much bigger and have a much, much bigger um, percentage of the vote. Um, Russia twists and uses half-truths. Um, and is that is that one of the reasons why its propaganda works with some people? And just for clarity, you know, the Azov Battalion was absorbed into the regular army and the issues with extremism that might have existed in the past are really, in, you know, from all the people I've spoken to are not issues in the present. But propaganda twists history in that way, doesn't it? Yeah, twists. But uh, uh, mm, mm, 
let me comment something on Azov Battalion. Uh, while I don't think it was extreme, and uh, this uh, myth about its extremism was also a part of Russian propaganda, and uh, because they just needed uh, to have some victim, to have some uh, like case for showing, for, for spreading around the world. Instead, instead, I know that uh, is, is in their uh, filtration camps, uh, you know, they created such camps in uh, every occupied uh, territory when people uh, from occupied territory were trying to, to go to free territory of Ukraine, they needed uh, to to go through these filtration camps. And if they, uh, uh, the Russians of some people from so-called LNR or DNR uh, found, uh, for example, tattoo with Ukrainian flag or trizub, or maybe just uh, some jewelry with trizub or so on, well, if they uh, heard Ukrainian uh, language in communication with that people, that people were for them Nazis. Anyway, yeah. even if that so-called Nazis, uh, let's say, had uh, Russian citizenship in past or even with uh, Russian passport in present, such examples, they are <laughs> everywhere. And uh, the, um, in, and I think that's because they just uh, have nothing uh, else to do with their thoughts and with their ideas. They are just empty. They just have uh, uh, control uh, mentality for for the decades. Maybe in early 90s, they only had uh, some freedom of uh, speech and expressions, but uh, not so full on. So they don't have a tradition to say something uh, what they uh, think uh, by themselves. So they don't think anything by themselves. Putin said that oh, everyone with Trizub tattoo is Nazis, and they say, oh, it's Nazi and don't realize anything about uh, Nazis and anything about uh, modern Ukrainians at all. But uh, let me say that now uh, we are trying even um, like, don't uh, pay huge attention to this Russia propaganda cases because uh, uh, the only thing they are um, really uh, afraid of is uh, if uh, Ukraine will totally ignore them. So we are trying to ignore them. We produce our senses, we produce our ideas, and what they're saying, it doesn't matter. Very soon it will be a world's periphery, like like I will not hurt any country in the world. It will be the darkest world periphery, let's say so. And uh, like this uh, latest <laughs> news about Kherson, yeah, we are uh, of course hoping for the very uh, 
for liberation of your son very soon, but uh, many uh, months of months of this uh, war uh, persuade us that uh, nothing is done when, like general uh, general uh, agency of uh, Ukrainian armed forces didn't say it. So we are waiting for Zaluzhny's comments on her son and uh, believe that it will be liberated. And another area, of course, which um, not just Russian propaganda, but this sort of genocidal, I would say, intent um, is, is, is inflicting on, of course, is the topic of the, the Holodomor. Yeah. And it's a form of, uh, like Holocaust denial, Russia is doing exactly the same with the Holodomor. And there are videos of them destroying and removing, uh, you know, some some very beautiful monuments um, in occupied territories that try to remember those events. And and for those who don't know what that was, that was a man-made intentional famine inflicted by uh, essentially USSR, but by Moscow uh, on Ukraine to to break the independence, I think, and the will of the Ukrainian people. Um, and a key part of Russia's propaganda is to deny that ever happened. Yeah, uh, uh, here I will say that uh, for me, uh, there are two main questions uh, that we can ask to Russians who want to seem like good Russians. The first question will be about uh, what is a what, uh, who is who is Crimea? So, uh, good Russians uh, can't uh, can't reply on this question or just uh, starting to to be very very flexible in their answers or. And the uh, other question is uh, about your question. What is about what is about Holodomor? Was it or not? So uh, it's not surprisingly that they are uh, removing that monuments and uh, are doing everything they can to to destroy uh, all these uh, like uh, remembrance places for Ukrainians because. Uh, during independence period, uh, especially from Yushchenko presidency, uh, this topic in Ukrainian history became very uh, researched, first of all, and uh, let's say even popular because many researchers started to find uh, some, some evidence to work in archives and uh, uh, I also know that this topic is uh, maybe the most uh, research around the world. So uh, we have uh, uh, organizations, we have institutions uh, that uh, are specializing in, in this topic see in the US, in Canada, in Great Britain. So uh, uh, more topic, I would say it's like uh, very identical for uh, Ukrainian history. And uh, it's not surprising uh, that they are trying to destroy it because everything that uh, uh, remind, reminds uh, them and reminds uh, to us uh, and to the rest of the world about 
Ukraine as a subject, as a uh, as an actor, political actor, as a, as a um, separate country, they will try to destroy. And uh, uh, about Holodomor, uh, uh, it's um, very, very fine that uh, uh, last year's uh, uh, we can see that uh, not only traditional academia, uh, think tanks, organizations, and so uh, are working on that. It's very uh, amazing that uh, like uh, this topic is spreading in popular uh, sphere, uh, like uh, uh, media, and uh, we all. Uh, know about that uh, uh, like uh, film uh, about uh, by uh, about investigation uh, on Holodomor by uh, Poland uh, uh, by Polish author and uh, here I will say that accidentally I became an assistant of uh, 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 non-fiction author, or the author or, uh, of the book Professor and the Madman, Simon Winchester. He uh, wrote the book uh, Land, uh, the hunger for uh, um, uh, how the hunger for ownership uh, shaped the modern world. His uh, book project was dedicated uh, to the like notion of property on, on the land, how uh, it uh, was bought, received, or uh, confiscated in history uh, around the whole world, in Europe, in Africa, North America, and South Pacific. And uh, like create, uh, thinking about this book, he decided uh, to visit Ukraine to see what uh, Stalin uh, was doing with uh, Ukrainians to destroy farmers uh, and uh, to confiscate their land. And uh, we uh, were going across uh, Kyiv region in some villages in, in rural places and uh, saw many monuments uh, to that path, saw the number of victims. It's impressive. And I'm very glad that our history, our uh, like uh, our part is uh, uh, very naturally is going to be the part of global history. It's uh, very important because what Russia really doesn't want to see that Ukraine is part of the world. Firstly, they want to see uh, Ukraine as a separate, uh, real, strong country, and the second is uh, the part of the world, because they want to see us as a rural part of Russian, let's say, now empire. That's right. And, uh, you know, Ukrainian literature uh, and language in the USSR were to an extent subservient to Russian literature uh, on a different tier, a more provincial kind of tier. Um, mm -hmm. But that's all changing now, isn't it? And I, I wanted to dig into your role um, in the events that you're organizing and, and, uh, and, and you know, various speeches and presentations you're facilitating. Um, there's been a huge increase in interest, hasn't there, in Ukrainian culture, literature, 
and history. I mean, one of the best examples are the hugely popular lectures that uh, Timothy Schneider is doing, but also historians like Sergei Plachy. I've seen lots mm -hmm. of events where he appears and he's obviously extremely knowledgeable. There's there's a surge in interest, isn't there? And do you think that will stay after the war? I hope so, very hope, and uh, you and we, we all are doing the great part for, for this to stay after the war. I think uh, that uh, uh, this time is a chance to become a global, a global country and uh, to play some global role in the world's development. And about uh, other activities, yeah, we were doing a lot of events uh, this year, and not only on history, but uh, on many topics that uh, really matter now. Uh, for example, energetic security, or again about disinformation, or just uh, last week, uh, nuclear security. And uh, we had um, great speakers. Uh, one of them was historian, and uh, two other were Ukrainian experts in nuclear security. And uh, for example, Olena Parinuk, she is from Zaporizhia, where is Zaporizhia Atomic Station is situated. And she also is expert in uh, as, uh, in security of atomic plants and uh, and so she really had what to comment on this and uh, uh, yes uh, we uh, we are trying to select some topics that are uh, very uh, relevant that are very actual to this time and um, try to uh, to help our audience, most of them are from the US, I would say, to understand Ukraine and uh, to know more about Ukraine, to, to be closer to Ukrainians. And uh, I guess we, we are pretty success in, in that. And I think, uh, I mean, the last question I want to ask really is, is, is about the future, because even though mm -hmm. The current events are are terrifying, uh, and of course, as territories like Kherson become liberated, there will be terrible stories of suffering and injustice. Mm -hmm. But in the long term, um, are you optimistic for Ukraine? You know, for the development of its cities and economy, and especially the tech sector. Uh, seems to be flourishing despite um, the war, um, but also for culture and language. Do you think the long-term view for Ukraine is is extremely positive? And it, probably worth comparing that to Russia because Russian culture seems to be descending into a into a spiral of uh, you know lacking innovation, not forward-looking. Uh, it's not evolving at all, um, and it's going back down into a kind of autocratic whole that mm -hmm. uh, is is destroying its uh, potential to grow and, and be a world culture. Yeah, I'm staying optimistic and uh, uh, about future, let, let me also give some citation, citation of uh, 
one of our uh, lecturers. Uh, it was uh, Marta Bohachevsky Humyak. Uh, she is a great scholar from the US and she was a uh, Fulbright Ukraine director for some years. And she said like, not uh, from where, but where. This is the main question when we are asking about Ukraine and the Ukraine's history. So where are we going? What, we want, what do we want? And uh, in this aspect, we see that we clearly understand that we are going, uh, first of all, to be free. Uh, we are going to be modern. We are going to be democratic. We are going to be uh, the part of all civilized uh, world, to be the part of Europe, to be uh, the part of, let's say, Western countries. And uh, uh, I'm sure that we uh, will be successful in this road because uh, even this war uh, showed us let, let's say showed myself that uh, Ukrainians have a great potential for the development because you know maybe uh, in the best way that uh, we, we are staying very resilient and flexible. So even these blackouts uh, that uh, uh, already became the part of our reality and nowadays they can't stop us. So we just uh, watching on the schedule of blackouts, uh, trying to, uh, to, to think about potential missile attacks in some days and some periods of the week and uh, try to do our, for example, work activities or our family events according to this flexible uh, schedule and trying to take into account on circumstances that could happen. And uh, I'm sure that not uh, all nations can do that. And uh, if uh, Russians thought uh, that uh, they will freeze us, they will like uh, stay us without electricity and we will be more, uh, supportive of their ideas, be more uh, ready uh, to, to give any chance uh, for like, for accepting uh, Ruski Mir here, they were wrong because it's only uh, make us, made us uh, more stronger, more flexible, more resilient and more, um, more, more angry against them so they have any chances here because uh, just see uh, what uh, uh, ordinary russian people do this uh, uh, in they uh, when they have some extraordinary events for example that previously uh, partly mobilization they started panic they started uh, uh, go abroad they started uh, i don't know but ukrainians uh, do Another thing, uh, when uh, 24th February happened, uh, we had uh, a very long, long lines of uh, our future defenders They uh, that uh, decided to, to go to this war and defend their home. So they go to this uh, 
we say it, uh, uh, we call it, uh, we call it um, special structure with, when uh, the Ukrainian armed forces are forming. So they go there and we had even lines for uh, of these future defenders and Russia in, in in this way just to, were trying to go abroad so we are totally different totally different people and uh, they have no ideas uh, no new ideas for themselves and um, for us of course so in the uh, in the uh, field of ideas they can't uh, win us, they can win us on uh, battlefields, so they uh, can only try to, to fear us by their missile attacks, but uh, these uh, previous months showed that even for that we can be ready. Well, Maria, um, that's a, a positive, I think, an uplifting place to end our discussion. I'm extremely grateful that uh, you're able to speak to me. I'm very glad the electricity stayed on uh, throughout our discussion because yeah. of course, uh, you know, as you as you mentioned when we're setting this up, the electricity has gone off a number of times this week. Yeah. Um, but all I can say is good luck with your work and the program. Uh, and I really hope that the interest in Ukrainian history and culture uh, only increases over time. Um, and Slava Ukraini. Thank you.